Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the National Community Radio Network. Today's program was recorded remotely across stolen lands and produced from my home on Wiliakali and Barkindji country. I'd like to acknowledge the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination across these great lands and particularly the Aboriginal people fighting for the right to water and to life in the Murray-Darling Basin. I'm Megan Williams. Now, the government is letting people just do what they want to do, you know? And where is this law? Floodplain harvesting is the incredibly controversial practice of capturing floodwaters off the land by diverting it into private storages for later use on irrigated agriculture. Recently, a New South Wales Upper House inquiry was established to once and for all get to the bottom of the all-important question. Is floodplain harvesting illegal? Today on Earth Matters, we'll hear from the chair of this inquiry, New South Wales Greens MP, Kate Fairman. And to explain the policy concepts and technicalities of floodplain harvesting, we'll hear from honorary senior lecturer from the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the Australian National University, Matt Colliffe. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of water policy, I want to take you back and set the scene in the mid-20th century on the banks of one of Australia's greatest rivers before over-extraction and remember the immense value of an interconnected river and floodplain with Barkindji man Badger Bates. Like I said, my name's Badger Bates. I was reared up in Wilcannia on the banks of the Barker, the Darling River, in a tin hut. I wasn't reared up on a missionary reared up. Some of us didn't go like the mission, so my old granny built a tin hut and we just stayed on the banks of the Barker, the Darling River. And the Barker then, the river, it looked uh, good. It used to drop down, but there was all this water in it in place, you know, the uh, so about two or three feet deep and it was always clear and the only time the barker went dirty is when we got a, fl- a flood from up around coming in from Queensland and all that and it was great to see a flood because we knew that there was fresh life coming we knew we could catch uh, yabbies we'd catch a lot of yabbies with the flood water on a piece of meat on a piece of cotton and we just pull it up and scrub the yabbies and it was great there's plenty of eggs we lived on the like with duck eggs swan eggs and you know, all other water bed eggs and there was plenty of fish and then when the flood waters went down and the river cleared up you could see the fish swimming in big schools and we sort of then after sort of after the floods you get plenty of shrimps and yabbies because in the Barker, when you had a flood, the, like I said, the water went sort of a milky colour and they used to call the Barker the muddy old darling and with that water, even though it was uh, 
dirty, we just have to get it and boil it, throw a bit of ashes in a 44 drum and settle the water. But it was great because we knew if we put up with that for about, say, six weeks, eight weeks, or mightn't have been that long sometimes, we knew that when the bark had cleared, we'd have plenty of food in the rivers. Seventy years ago, the barker was an ever-abundant source of food and fresh water. But the floods weren't just a resource. They sustained life. When I talk about the muddy old Darling, we'd have rain in Queensland, but by the time it hit here, some of the clear water, but we have rains around, and that was running off the floodplain into the creeks and into the rivers, and some of our water would have came from into the, say, the Minindy Lake system. We're in Brogan Hill, which is about, as the crow fly, about 110 k's away, 100 k's away. But there's two big main creeks running from Brogan Hill to the Minindy Lakes. One creek is called Stevens Creek, another is called Yankawina Creek. When those creeks flood, then you'd have fish migrating and moving around that fresh water. So then up towards Wilcannia you had, uh, again you had these big massive creeks running in from the flood plains, but then with the rain and that, that'd get the fish moving and going up and down the river. But since all this other stuff going down and they, in the bark and they killed it, you don't get those movements of water. And that's why we, the food chain and a lot of it is not, it's not working properly. Even after much needed rains this year, the Darling River has not yet recovered from the years of degradation. And floodplain harvesting might have something to do with that. Matt Colliffe, Honorary Senior Lecturer at the Australian National University, explains what floodplain harvesting is. Traditionally, floodplain harvesting was the process by which um, water running across the floodplain, either from um, uh, big rainfall events or from actual floods uh, in which the the channel, uh, the river channel overflowed, um, was captured in storages on farms. um, And it was basically unlicensed and unregulated. And um, that water was regarded as a free good and farmers were free to take that water um, and use it as they saw fit. To understand why floodplain harvesting is being looked at so closely right now, you have to understand how it fits within overall extraction in the Murray-Darling Basin through a piece of policy called CAP. In 1995, um, a cap on diversions was introduced uh, in the Murray-Darling Basin to try and limit the amount of water that was diverted from rivers. Um, and although technically floodplain harvesting was included in that cap, uh, the reality was that the cap did not <coughs> um, reduce um, the rate of construction of um, flood, uh, on-farm storages. And... Um, Certainly in New South Wales, floodplain harvesting has remained pretty much unregulated up until uh, recent attempts to uh, licence and regulate the, the, the process. So far, floodplain harvesting in New South Wales remains unlicensed and unregulated, and it's a source of inequality even amongst irrigators. 
what what you've got to understand about um, uh, floodplain harvesting is that um, that water is free. It doesn't cost anything. Yes, it costs a lot to construct an on-farm storage, um, but any water going into it, you don't pay um, for that water in the way that you would if you had to buy it on the open market if you were an irrigator in the southern basin. So that water is incredibly valuable. Um, cotton is the most lucrative crop grown um, in the Murray-Darling Basin, um, a lot, alongside um, uh, almonds and walnuts. But um, uh, nuts and cotton in particular attract big corporate irrigators. Um, some of them are public limited overseas international companies. They have shareholders, um, they have major investors, and they have significant political clout. So um, that means that the capacity to influence government policy is relatively high compared with, say, you know, mum and dad dairy farmers in, in the southern basin who might be uh, only on a thousand hectares of land and have a relatively small water entitlement. Floodplain harvesting mostly happens in the north, but it has flow-on effects through many communities. Dr Matt Colliff explains the rivers in New South Wales, where floodplain harvesting takes place, and what this means for river flows coming right through the system. The major rivers that are affected are the Cumberland Ballon, um, border rivers, New South Wales and Queensland, um, Guida, Namoi, uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, Macquarie and the Barwon Darling. Um, so the major impact, um, if you look at, for example, the Condamine Ballon, if you look at the amount of water um, as you track down the Condamine Ballon from the high flow event, you can assess the amount of flow at each gauge down the river. The amount of water that comes out the bottom end of the Condamine Ballon, um, uh, just west of Bruarana, is in a high flow event is a tiny fraction of um, of what you see upstream, indicating that a lot of that water is captured. And you'll see the same effect on other rivers in the northern basin. So the, the question really is what difference would it make um, if floodplain harvesting didn't occur? Um, well, there'd be more water in the Lower Darling, there'd be more water from the Lower Darling flowing into Murray. Um, the, wetlands in the on the Darling, Tallywalka, Anabranch, um, Menindee Lakes, uh, the Great Darling, Anabranch uh, would be getting more water, but also communities in the Lower Darling would um, would see uh, fewer situations where the river ceased to flow, and um, would be assured of a, a, a more um, uh, a more regular and reliable. Um, source of water um, for their communities and for their livelihoods. A reality that Barkindji man Badger Bates knows too well. You know, I say it and I'll keep on saying it. Years ago, the Barker back in the say days, that's the Darling River, they used to put pedal steamers up the river. Now you can't even put a bark canoe or a kids, little kid swimming pool in it. There's nothing. And the floodplain harvesting, I understand that people need to make a living, but there should not be floodplain harvesting. Because again, 
if me and you had a property over there, Megan, and we blocked the creek off to build a little dam, we're gone. So where is the law? They should have a royal commission into all this. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today, we're talking about floodplain harvesting in the New South Wales northern Murray-Darling Basin. And that was Barkindji man Badger Bates talking about the need for a rural commission into its management. Now, Badger actually shared all this with me last year. And while there's still no rural commission to speak of, a new inquiry into the legality of floodplain harvesting practices has been established in the New South Wales Upper House. Greens MP and Chair of this inquiry, Kate Fairman, spoke to me about it. Okay, so we have established an inquiry into floodplain harvesting. Uh, The New South Wales Upper House is going to conduct it and it has representatives of pretty much most parties on it. So Labor, Liberals, Nationals, uh, me as a Greens chair of the inquiry, as well as Shooters and Fishers. Um, It was established after well, it's a very controversial issue, floodplain harvesting, and this inquiry was established after several uh, incidents uh, in the New South Wales Upper House of the House voting to essentially disallow or reject regulations that pertain to floodplain harvesting that the New South Wales Water Minister established or gazetted a couple of months prior, if you if you get me. So we have this this power in the New, New South Wales Upper House to disallow a regulation, and that is an um, instrument that doesn't come before the parliament. We can bring it before the parliament to disallow it. It's quite a good power to have, if you like, um, for a government who likes to put a lot of the legislative changes and regulatory uh, tools in um, in regulation that doesn't come before the Parliament. So that's what happened. Now, Kate explained this to me in some detail. So firstly, there is a lot of distrust in the community. But I'm going to spare you. Basically, twice now, the New South Wales Water Minister, Melinda Pavey, put forward regulations that didn't need to go through Parliament to exempt floodplain harvesting from needing water access licences and works approvals. But both times, the opposition and the crossbench in the upper house came together to block these regulations. Kate explains further. And some of the, the issues with this is that we have been asking in the parliament, particularly in the upper house during budget estimates processes, for the water minister to provide to the parliament any legal advice she had received in relation to whether um, the floodplain harvesting that has been undertaken, whether much of the works are licensed, whether um, it's legal in terms of the floodplain harvesting that has been taken place, and what she has found and her department has found in terms of the overall take. So none of this has been provided with any transparency, yet the Minister has introduced regulations in two 
um, in a space of, say, six months apart, regulations, both of which would have potentially licensed what is currently maybe a legal take. And until we work out, firstly, whether the work's in place, whether they are legal or not legal, and how much they're taking and its vast quantities, the Minister cannot expect us to sit back and allow her to put in place regulations that may make all of this legal and potentially therefore compensable to the taxpayer. And this is one of the, the issues that we've been grappling with, as has, I know, um, many, many stakeholders in the, in the field. And it later came out that the minister was sitting on legal advice that hadn't been shared publicly. Dr Matthew Colliff of the ANU had a pretty clear-cut explanation. Well, I've, I've seen the internal legal advice that was given by uh, DPIE lawyers, and it quite clearly says that on the balance of probabilities, um, it would be uh, unlawful to take floodplain harvesting water without an access license and it would probably be unlawful on the balance of probabilities to uh, construct a storage uh, without the relative without the relevant um, license and permissions to do so um, so that's DPIE's own advice seems pretty cut and dried to me I can't really add anything to that because you know the the, the documents were released in New South Wales Parliament um, and it's there for anyone to read. But some of the criticism of blocking these regulations are that we need rules in place if they are to be enforced. I put this to Greens MP Kate Fairman. Well, the issue is that the contention um, within the entire basin between the southern uh, community and the northern communities, of course, that are a handful of big irrigators up north have been taking way more than their fair share, that those dams have been and water storages have been full while uh, the lower Darling has dried up. There is huge distrust as to what has been reported and as to whether the water take in the massive storages up north has been adequately accounted for and truthfully accounted for. Uh, we have heard that despite uh, ENRA, Natural Resources Access Regulator, um, trying to ensure all of these uh, big pipes over 500 millimetres are, are metered, uh, in fact, less than half have been metered. Um, so for the upper house to uh, just see these regulations put in place by a water minister that ICAC has also found is listening to her department and the department is listening to the big irrigators up north, um, we would be derelict uh, um, of our duty. I would really have to say we have... Members of the community urging us, we are their last chance. They don't feel like they're, the water minister is listening to them. The department uh, certainly doesn't seem to be. If you're listening, if, if ICAC is um, to be believed, and I certainly believe them, we are their last chance. And not only my office, but of course the offices of Labor, Shooters, Independents have been inundated by members of the community urging us to stand strong because a lot of them feel like something 
something is going on here. Clearly Four Corners had found that since Four Corners, since the Four Corners report, since that ICAC report, that yes, may not have found overt corruption, but surely uh, very much indicated that the big irrigators up north are getting huge favours from the department and the water minister. Um, you know, yeah, we are kind of their, their last uh, hope. I'm glad we did what we did and I'm glad we had this inquiry because uh, hopefully it will provide some kind of um, some kind of closure for some and hopefully we can move forward with some strong recommendations. And through all the politics, this story is about how you can have your say on an issue that's been hurting people and the environment up and down the river. Yeah, so we have a parliamentary, the parliamentary website for the New South Wales Parliament. You go into committees, you can find the select committee on floodplain harvesting. You can make, you can find the details there about how to make submissions to the inquiry. So the submissions close on the 13th of August. They are open. Um, we will, uh, we're encouraging everybody to uh, come forward with um, submissions. I don't want to just hear um, from you know, the kind of big irrigators and the usual suspects as well. I think it's really important that we hear from uh, people right up and down the the basin about this. Floodplain harvesting in those um, catchments in the north impact the whole basin. Um, and that's, you know, we are wanting to hear from everybody. And if people don't come, they might not be able to, you know, appear before a committee. That's sometimes um, obviously you know, quite uh, daunting, but doing a written submission will be read and it um, you potentially could be quoted in the report and also I'd certainly encourage that. And finally, I put it to Kate Fairman and Matthew Colliffe. From their perspective, with long connection to the policies and the politics, what can people like us expect to see from an inquiry? Um, yeah, I, I will say this committee has a big task before it. Um, it's got representatives from all parties. And yes, I'm a Greens chair. We've got a, a deputy chair from the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, I just want to reassure everybody that we are going to try and have recommendations and have findings of this inquiry that everybody can agree to. We want to uh, make recommendations to the government that um, hopefully they can agree to as well. Having said that, we'll make strong recommendations and we won't shy away from the evidence uh, that comes before this committee. But I do know that, you know, some people will say, well, what's the point of another inquiry? Well, at this stage, the New South Wales Upper House is in some ways uh, has a lot of power on this issue right now because it will be this upper house as to whether we um, agree to, you know, further regulations and further legislation in this area. So we're in a position where we can really make a difference. So I'd urge everybody to participate in it and uh, let's see where we get to. I'm certainly excited about um, what, what we've got before us. Well, I think that one thing I would like to see is some certainty around the legal status. Um, it, it doesn't benefit anyone from having the level of uncertainty that we've got at the moment. That's the first thing. The second thing is it is probable that um, floodplain harvesting will be licensed. Um, I would like to see some safeguards in place around the rules in relation 
to what can be harvested when uh, and allowing for flows to occur down rivers. So if there is a major rainfall flooding event in the northern basin, the proportion of that water is allowed to go through to flow down the Barwon Darling um, prior to its capture and storages in the northern basin. And that flow targets are actually implemented and that they are complied with um, so that's New South Wales. Queensland's a different story because it's not subject to the same regulatory regime. Uh, what I would like to see in relation to floodplain harvesting in both Queensland and New South Wales is that Murray-Darling Basin Authority and the Inspector General um, actually do their jobs and um, ensure that compliance um, with uh, limits on, on floodplain harvesting are adhered to, that, um, that, that uh, levels of take brought in under the um, cap limits, and that, um, that, that states are held accountable for the fact that they signed up to the Basin Plan and leg are legally obliged to abide by it. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. I'd like to say a very big thank you to all my guests today. We've been talking about floodplain harvesting in the New South Wales Murray-Darling Basin. And we've heard from Barkindji man Badger Bates, Dr Matthew Colliff of the Australian National University, and New South Wales Greens MP Kate Fairman. My name is Megan Williams. If you'd like to get in touch with us at Earth Matters, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen back on today's program by going to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or searching Earth Matters 3CR wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed today's program, tell your friends about us. Give this program a share on social media and write us a review. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne. But today's episode was produced remotely across stolen lands. I hope you enjoyed the program and we'll see you next time for more Earth Matters.